You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Welcome uh, again, those listening to my voice on the podcast or Facebook Live. Hello, nice to see you. Um, or uh, here in the room, obviously. Uh, I uh, want to start off uh, saying again, Happy Mother's Day. And just to kind of get a gauge for us here in the room, um, raise your hand if you're a mom. Okay? Um, okay, you put them down. Raise your hand if you're a mom, but your kids aren't under your roof anymore. They're, they're out on their own, and you're breathing a huge sigh of relief. Look at how calm you all look. <laughs> Raise your hand if you still have kids under your roof. <coughs> Look at the bags under the eyes. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're beautiful to all of us here. We want to just thank you again. Um, and like I said at the beginning of the service, um, I don't know anybody who doubts that the role, the job, the, 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 the calling of being uh, a mom um, isn't a huge and valuable one. It is. Uh, but moms, obviously, you don't necessarily get the recognition uh, that, that you deserve. You know, we always do this a one-day kind of a, a, a thing, but it should be every single day. We, you should be celebrated and thanked. Um, the parenting roles should be, husbands and wives uh, should be, uh, because you have a, a, a dirty job. Um, there's a television show that many of you know called Dirty Jobs. Right, And it's Mike Rowe and uh, one of my favorite shows. He travels all over the country to various dirty jobs, spends episodes cleaning pig pens, right? uh, scrubbing sewage, uh, feeding ostriches, standing on top huge suspension bridges, and many other frightening and scary and gross jobs, right? Um, but here's what's interesting. You notice that the job he never does is being a mom. I think it's because he's too scared. <laughs> because it's a huge and gross job. Because obviously, you know, this is that's what your wardrobe looks like all the time, moms. Just stuff all over the place. Um, and uh, and and uh, it, it takes it takes guts to be a mom. Um, not only your own, but usually you have to take guts from other people to be. <laughs> A mom, um, and most often uh, the the role of mom falls on um, the the role of mothering falls on the woman of the household. That that's not necessarily an American cultural thing. That's kind of a historical thing, and that's generalizing. Um, but uh, moms, I believe, have just a different wiring and a focus when it comes to their own kids. Um, and this was this this video you're going to see is not set up at all. This happened Friday night. Kelly and I and, my, and Maddie, my daughter, were sitting on our deck, and um, it just demonstrates the different priorities that men and women have in terms of taking care of kids. So we're sitting on our deck, and this is from our deck, and we're watching this mom come around the corner, and she's wheeling her kid. And she keeps looking back over her shoulder, and then head down, and goes a little bit faster. But now I know why. Not made up. That's truly from our tech. Isn't that the best? That's going on Facebook after the services, man. That's just so awesome. Love that guy. Um, salary, salary.com. I actually do this every year, but I, I'm always amazed at the what it would cost us to pay for the career or an actual job called motherhood. And on average, moms put in 94 hours a week, according to salary.com. And if you were paid 
for the top 10 most time-consuming tasks listed by more than 6,000 mothers, salary.com estimated it would cost, your salary would be $149,342 a year. Sounds like a lot, but divide that again into 94 hours and you're, you're still are way overworked and way, way underpaid. And one thing about motherhood too is right from the beginning, us kids, we who are kids of yours, seem to push back on every single thing that you want us to do or talk to us about. When I was a kid, I was kind of a mama's boy. Um, I got in trouble with kind of some of the, the normal stuff, but I was always kind of tight to mom, mom's, uh, you know, uh, side and, and everything. My brother, on the other hand, was a terror. I, I remember him as being a terror. He was constantly pushing my mother's buttons. One, I mean, I remember one time, and kids don't try this at home. Um, he took. He thought it would be funny to take a whole bottle of ketchup and dump it all over his head and come running in the back door screaming. <laughs> I thought my mom was going to have a heart attack and fall over dead right there. But she, she said, it's okay, let's get to the sink and wash it off. She knew exactly what it was right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, my, my brother, when he was good, he was good. When he was bad, Satan himself left the room. It was bad. <laughs> And there are times I remember, I remember my mom after punishing him and she just goes into the living room and she's just like, I give up. I, I give up. Now watching my wife be an incredible mother, there are times when she says, I just give up. And moms, here's what you need to know about today. The best thing you can do in being a mom is to give up. I'm serious. The best thing you can do in your mothering role is to give up. In fact, moms, turn to your kids and your husband and say, I give up. And some of you are like, finally, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Others of you are more, well, I, I, uh, I, I love being a mom. But, you know, but here's what you need to know. And this is, this is kind of the, something we're going to have to process a little bit. And you've got to stick with me to the end to kind of really think this through. But moms, your number one role is releasing control. Your number one role as a mom is releasing control. Say that with me. Ready? Go. Your number one role is releasing control. Now, what does that, that mean? What does that actually mean as we unpack it? Now, it's real, realize I'm not talking about releasing responsibility. I'm talking about releasing control. Raise your hand if you love not being in control. No, yeah, it's, it's not normal. We want to be in control, especially when we're parenting. Um, so it's not releasing responsibility, releasing ownership and control of uh, that role. You're releasing ownership. I was in Target the other day, and I come around the corner, and there's this mom actually doing the correct thing. Her little kid, boy, he was, he was screaming. And she's just not going like this. And another mom's coming this way. And he's just running and screaming and falling and throwing things off the shelf. And she just keeps going like this. And I heard her tell this other mom that she's passing, it's not my kid. <laughs> there's, a, there's a mind shift change we're talking about here. There's a mindset thing, moms and, and parents, basically. But I, I want you to, to that we're going to be really... Thinking through, and, and the key thing that you, that us as parents have to realize, our 
children, whether they're in our house or not, our children are on loan to us from God himself. Our children are on loan to us from God himself. We were stewards. We were managers of the children that he has blessed us with. Okay? It's a little different mindset. And there's a tension there, obviously, for parents. We want their hair to be perfect. We want them to talk perfectly. We want them to look perfect. And when they get to the age when they're pushing back and they wear something or they take their hair and they take their little scrunchy thing out and their hair is on the way to church, you know, and you're like, oh, I can't, we're going, we're going back home, you know. It pushes our buttons because we're not in control. They're exploring who they are. And um, it, it's hard, especially as they're growing up, making their own decisions to release control because we want control. Now, there's a biblical uh, example of releasing control of ownership um, in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, if you have our Bible app, you can look it up there. Um, we're going to be in Exodus 1. So um, Exodus 1, written by Moses. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at this control and this ownership piece. Now, let me set this up. This is about... Uh, the story we're going to talk through is about 1,600 years before Jesus walked the earth. Okay, So 1,600 years before Jesus walked the earth, um, and there was a pharaoh or a leader of the country of the area called, um, his name was Ramses, and he had the, he was probably, he's considered one of the greatest, um, according to different standards, the greatest pharaohs of history. He reigned for 66 years, which is the longest of any other pharaoh. And his big thing, some, some pharaohs had a big thing about um, grabbing land and about planting or different areas. His big thing was building. He loved building. He built all kinds of things, massive amounts, these massive uh, pyramids and, and different facades that you probably would see in history. He would even, when he would conquer a country, he would take his name, have his workers take his name, and write it on the buildings of past pharaohs. He was so egotistical. But he was ruthless. He was harsh. And he, in order to make these big buildings, um, enslaved the Israelites, the, the God people, and made them not just servants, but made them slaves, meaning they weren't paid. They were, they were uh, in, in, in trapped, they were arrested, and they were put into these slave trades. Well, what happened was, the Israelites were very prolific. Their numbers, the population was growing so fast that Pharaoh said, oh, oh, oh we've got to control the population, or on a dime, we, they are three times the size of our armies. They can overtake us in a heartbeat. So we enslaved them to make bricks. The quota, the daily quota for making bricks for the Israelites was 3,000 bricks without any of the technology we have today. So they were, it was brutal. People died on a daily basis. And so he, he, he saw this population growing and he decided we are going to kill. We're going to tell all the midwives that when a baby is born, you need to kill the male. The, if it's a boy, you can throw him in the Nile River and kill him. Because if he grew up, if we get all these boys and they turn on us, we're toast. So that's really where we, uh, we pick up the story. Um, Exodus 1, starting um, toward the end, uh, says this. Pharaoh gave this order to all people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live for multiple reasons that you could probably think about. 
So about this time, uh, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. And we know them uh, by their names, Amram and Yochabed. Um, just like that. You gotta say that when you say Hebrew, yeah. You just kind of spit, you're good. Um, so uh, these two, two people, Amram and Yochabed, uh, the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby, and we're not quite sure what that, that means, what this baby looked like, or why she thought he was special. Um, but he kept, she kept him hidden for three months from the tyranny of Pharaoh. If, if somebody found out that she had a boy in the household, a newborn, that boy is going to be dead on arrival. Um, so she kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, obviously after three months, baby's crying and, and she just couldn't hide him. Um, and especially in these communities, it wasn't like we had a house and a house. Every building was connected. So basically, you know, mostly tents in that, in that area. Um, but sometimes it was, it was stone and then on top it was just a thatch roof or sometimes just a tent roof. So you can imagine, you could hear everybody's business no matter what's happening. Uh, and so when she figured out that she couldn't hide him any longer, uh, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it on her own with tar and pitch. Yep, that's a mom right there. She put the baby in the basket, and then she did something that um, I, I just couldn't even imagine um, uh, 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 being a dad or a mom herself doing. She put him in the basket and laid the basket among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. She released control of her three-month-old baby son to the whims of the river. It was among the reeds on purpose so that it wouldn't float off down the river, so at least it would, the, the baby would be somewhat safe. But she released control. She knew her number one responsibility, given the circumstances, given the desire to do the best for her newborn son, she released control. This is what a great example of trusting your child's welfare and future to God alone. When Moses' mother let go of that, that boat made of, of, of uh, you know, reeds, she did something precious. And she trusted that God would take care of her baby son. Now, moms, I know and we know that you'll do anything to have your children not just survive, but thrive, right? Your, your role is to give them first roots and then wings. And that's, that's what you are about. I mean, even if they're out of the house, you think about, moms, you think about what they're doing. You think if you've done enough as a mom. You think if you've equipped them to handle the pressures of being a thousand miles away at college. And if you have kids under your roof, you wonder, am I doing a good job as a mom? And am I not messing them up for the rest of their life? I know that you think about that. You guys do as well. And the pressure to be a good mom seems huge, but you have to know that God is in control, and you have to trust Him with all aspects of your motherhood, but all aspects of your child. So continuing the story, it doesn't stop here. The baby's sister, and this is we know as Miriam, she's about seven years older than, than uh, her little brother. So she's probably about eight years old at this time. Stood at, or seven, seven and a half. Stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, 
Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the blanket or the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Now she could have just said, "Up," and dropped it in the river for her dad's orders. But instead, she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby, then the baby's sister Miriam approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Which means it tells us that this daughter was young or had didn't have kids of her own um, for various reasons. But um, so she was a younger girl. I can imagine this is like when your kids come home with a puppy, you know, and you, you, the puppy comes into the household and guess who takes care of the puppy? The parents, right? Isn't this cute puppy? Yeah. So, so Miriam kind of goes, no, I'm going to circumvent that. And I'm going to say, hey, should I get one of the slaves uh, to nurse the baby for you? And the princess is like, yes, do that. So the girl went and did this brilliant thing. Hey, mom, guess what I just set up? And he gets, she gets the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will... I will pay you to nurse your own kid. Wouldn't that be awesome? Moms, if that was part of the deal, I'll pay you for your help. So the woman took her own baby in her home and nursed him. But that's not the end of the story. It sounds great. But later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him... Moses, for she explained, I lift Moses in the Hebrew, um, in this Aramaic, uh, no, Hebrew language, means lifted up, means delivered up out of. Um, she named him that, uh, for she explained, uh, explained, I lifted him out of the water. And this baby, this Moses, if you know history, if you know the Bible, the baby in the basket would grow up to meet God face to face in a burning bush. Would go to Pharaoh and navigate the conversation with Pharaoh that would eventually have the Israelites released from the slavery, that slavery that we just talked about. And would lead them through the desert to the banks of the promised land. He would write five books, the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Um, he would write that and he would be a pillar of faith for you and for me. And it all began with a new mom who realized that her main, her primary role was releasing control. But not just to anybody. To God. And this is parents. Dad's included. The biggest struggle in parenting isn't what your child is or isn't doing. The biggest struggle we have isn't what our child is or isn't doing. The biggest struggle we have is our non-ability to control what our child is or isn't doing. And when you realize that your kids are on loan to you from their real Heavenly Father, it ups the ante on our stewardship, our responsibility of taking care of them, but it releases the pressure of controlling everything about them. So how do we do this? How do we release, how, if our primary role is to release control, how do we do that? Well, I asked a couple of moms uh, in our church what their thoughts were, and here's what they said. Um, I just combined them both together. 
We live in a fallen world, and spiritual danger is all around us. So, God, so godly protection is crucial. This mom said, I pray every day that the Holy Spirit would remind my children how much God loves them. I pray every day that my children see Him at work in everything and everywhere. I pray Thanksgiving every day for allowing them or allowing me to be their mom. I want Parenting is hard, but laying worries and concerns at his feet is a beautiful thing. Praying for your children is the most part, important part of my parenting. So here's what I want you to do, moms and dads, everybody. Inside the bulletin is a, a card I put in there um, called Prayers for My Children. Um, now, honestly, because of time, um, I just grabbed this up of Pinterest, so don't sue me or anything. Um, but they're, they're good. Here's just a, some suggestions for prayers for my kids. My wife, several years ago, when we first had our first kid, wrote up her own, which are way better than this. Um, so maybe if you email me, I'll send you our copy. One of them that isn't on here, that is we pray that they get caught when they're wrong. We pray that they get caught when they're wrong. That prayer seemed to work pretty well with our kids. <laughs> they got busted all the time for stuff. Um, but here's what I want you to do, moms. For seven days, now till next Sunday, or now till next Saturday, every day I want you to pray all or one of these for your kids. Whether they're in the house or not, pray every day one of these prayers or all these prayers. On the back, you can put one of your children or all your kids' names in the, in the slot, and you just write your own prayers. Things that just kind of come up. You don't have to have Bible verses with them, but this is what I'm praying for them because my, my child is, is just graduated from college or high school, and I, this is what I'm praying for them. So the next seven days, use this as a tool, as a resource for you um, to, to be praying every single uh, day. Um, and here's why this is important. Because God, God says, cast all your cares and worries on Him. Motherhood is a tough job. Parenting is a tough job. And so given the example of releasing control from Moses' mom, I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you once again, realizing the, the amazing stewardship you have as a parent but also and especially releasing control of them and trusting God in their life. Amen?